Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 197 of the Speaking Club podcast. Here's my thought for today, courtesy of James Wedmore. When you value your time more than you value your money, you'll find you have plenty of both. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Well, hello. How are you today? I am a little bit tired because I didn't get until one o'clock in the morning. And that's because I was lucky enough to go and see the new musical theatre version of Moulin Rouge last night. And it was absolutely fabulous. The sets were great. It was brilliant. It was packed out. Um, except for one thing that was I was a bit disappointed with. And that was, in my opinion, just my opinion, but anyway, I'll share it with you. The lead actor was too focused on the audience and playing to the audience to the detriment of creating the connection and chemistry with his lead actress. And this made their romantic relationship feel a bit unbelievable. And it's interesting because speaking and acting have a lot of crossover and also quite a bit of difference. And one of the key differences is that as a speaker, you are treating your audience as your leading lady or man. You need to be completely present and connected to that audience to make the relationship come alive. But when you act, you direct all that attention to the other actors and the audience is like a fly on the wall. They need to feel like they're getting to see behind the curtain, if you like. In fairness to the actor, this show only opened a few days ago. And just like with a talk, the you know, the performance needs to be rehearsed until it feels natural. Just, you know, like with your speaking. So it may well be that his performance beds in as the show continues. Fingers crossed for that. But today we're not talking about acting we're talking about traffic and getting more people to see your stuff. Now, as you are probably aware, getting traffic to your website or speaker page is really important for getting sales and bookings. But the trouble is, for most of us, though, how to get Google to notice us via search engine optimization or SEO, as it's more commonly known, can seem like a mystical dark art that's beyond our understanding. And that's why I've brought Graham Bayliss onto the show. And if you imagine the internet as the Wild West, then Graham would be considered one of the original frontiersmen. He's been working with the internet since 1993, and he set his own internet company up back in 1999. Do you remember Space 1999? I used to love that program. It seemed such a long way away when I was a child. Anyway, for more than 20 years, he's been on a mission to demystify SEO so that business owners don't get ripped off or put off 
harnessing the power of the internet to corral new customers into their world. So if you want to increase your impact and get more eyeballs onto your stuff, then you'll want to listen to this show. Okay, let's get it started. Welcome to the speaking club, Graham Bayliss. Hello, and I'm very pleased to be here too. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Now you're going to be talking today about something that is very mysterious to a lot of people, including myself, which is why one of the reasons selfishly I got you onto the show. But um, we're talking today about uh, search engine optimization primarily. And um, so when did you first come across SEO as a thing? Well, I first got involved with the Internet way back in 1993, which is, you know, in the birth of the whole thing. And uh, when I was working for AT&T. And I used it to set up one of the first intranets in the country. That's basically an internet inside an organisation. And while I was doing that, I had to do a bit of web design. Now, towards the end of, uh, of, the, of the 90s, I got made redundant. I thought, right, I'll become a web designer. So I started being a web designer. You know, it was quite a new profession at the time. But I found I wasn't any good at it. But while I was finding I wasn't any good at it, I had a you know built a site and the person said I built it for how am I going to get people to this site then to buy the product? And I thought well, that's a good question, you know. So initially we used Google AdWords, which is a paid system where you say you want to be found for a certain word and Google will put you on their screen for that word and charge you for the privilege if someone clicks on, on the link to the advert. But I thought at the same time, well. That's having to pay for that. We should look at the other way of doing things, which was search engine optimization. So I first came across this really way back in 1999. Wow. And I, I like to think in my head, you're like um, when the, if the Internet was the Wild West, you're like a frontiersman for for the that's where I've kind of positioned you in my head. And so was it something you sort of took to straight away? Was it obvious to you how this worked or, or was it sort of, you know, finding things out, teaching yourself? How, how did you find it all? Yes, yeah, so self-teaching was the way. There wasn't even many courses at, the point, at that point in time because it was just so new. So I, I talked to it in one way because I'm a very logical sort of person. And when you break down uh, SEO, it's, it's, you know, it's run by a Google computer algorithm so logic really comes in in handy but i did find it a struggle to start with it wasn't easy to get hold of, hold of the whole thing and you know it's not become any easier really because it's getting more and more complex every every month and i was that was a question i wanted to ask you which kind of is seo in your opinion more or less important today than it was 10 years ago i think it's getting more and more important i think the pandemic accelerated this as well because more and more people are buying things online. Um, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. One, it's so easy. Like I use Amazon all the time, let's be honest, because it's so easy to buy things from there. Um, and, you know, if you go to the shops looking for a certain thing, often it's not in stock because they don't hold so few stocks. And the HGV crisis has made that even more, you know, a problem. So it's becoming more and more important because it is the place that people go to check you out when they think about doing business with you. And if you can't be found easily, then they might just not bother checking you out and go somewhere else. So that's a big thing, actually, for independent uh, retailers and stuff like that. To Even though they've got a brick and mortar store, to be found online is, is actually going to be really important for them. Oh, undoubtedly. Uh, lo local SEO, you know, the finding of people 
businesses uh, close to you is becoming more and more important. 80% of, of purchases, you know, often start off with someone looking online before they go and buy it. There's so many reasons for it. Even if they, they know about you, so they can find your business easily by typing your name in, because you should always come up for your own name, let's be honest. Uh, although there are some times where you don't. But if, you fa- if you're findable on uh, the internet by your own name, then they start looking for reviews about you as well. So it's not only just being found, it's, it's telling a good story when they get there and having some reviews to back up the fact that you're worth dealing with. Cool. And we're going to be talking a bit more about story later. But the, the next thing I wanted to ask you was, in your opinion, what is the biggest mistake people make with SEO? Well, there's just so many. Uh, I've just written an article on why SEO campaigns fail, and there are so many. But I think the biggest reason they fail is they don't give them long enough to work. The, the, the problem with SEO, if you break it down into its components, is once you've got everything set up, you know, you've done the research to find out what you want to be found for, and you've changed your site to, to, to you know, mirror that, that desire, then in most cases, you have to have enough links to the site for all Google to trust you. Now, if you don't give the campaign long enough for those links to bite, then it simply it simply won't work. And I think that's the biggest mistake people make. They don't, you know, invest enough in it and they don't give it enough time. And I just you mentioned about like finding the right words and 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 the logical side of this. But is it so when you're looking for a, a search term that you want to be found for, I mean, should you just sit there and brainstorm it yourself? Should you try and put yourself in your customer's shoes? You know, should you try some of the sites that that have those sort of keywords? What's the best way to find the words that are relevant for your thing? Yeah, very good question. SEO is all about keywords. The initial part of the of the, the whole process is to decide what you want to be found for. And that means you have to find out what people are searching for, because it's no good being found for things people aren't looking for, because it won't do you any good. And that part of it is called keyword research. Now, you can do this sort of thing yourself. You can go to SEMrush, which is one of the um, you know the main SEO tools, and you can buy yourself a short-term subscription. And that will help you find out all the keywords, because you do need to ask the internet what people are searching for. You do have to do some brainstorming first to work out where you start. And you do have to know who your competitors are. A competitor is someone who has a position on a search engine that you want. So, you know, it doesn't matter who they are and where they are in the UK. If they've got position, you know, on the first page, then they're a competitor. So you need to find out what they're being found for as well. And SEM Rush will help you with that. You need to do this essential keyword research. Because once you've got that, then you know what you want to be found for. And then you can start building pages that tell Google that you're good at X, Y, and Z and that you want to be found for those phrases. So you need to do proper detailed keyword research first. And is that the real secret of SEO or is it something else? <laughs> a very good question. Uh, who's, everyone's looking for the silver bullet of SEO. You know, it's a, the one bullet that will cure it. And, and there isn't really like, you know, one bullet that will cure it, but there is something you can do very easily that will set you on the right path. And that that secret is to give our friend Mr. Google exactly what it wants. And what it wants is it wants uh, pages that answer people's questions that, that have offered them the project products that they're looking for. You know, basically giving the customers, the people who use Google, what they want. And if you do that, then Google are pleased with you. But you also, unfortunately, have to make sure that the website that houses those pages 
is fast enough. It can't be slow because Google doesn't like slow sites. It's got to be easy to use because Google doesn't like websites that offer what it calls a poor user experience. And it needs to be trusted. Google is a computer, basically, a very big computer, but a computer nevertheless. And it needs to find some way of deciding who it can trust and who it can't. Now, being a computer, it can't go around asking people about things. So it has to rely on something else. And that's called uh, PageRank, which is where Google started way back in the 1990s, which is all about how many people link or how many websites link to yours and how many websites link to the people that are linking to you. And this is how they define and divine trust. You haven't got enough backlinks then Google can't trust you. And if they can't trust you, they won't list you. Because if you think about it, Google is the biggest referral engine on the planet. You know, it's far bigger than all these things like uh, even LinkedIn. It's bigger than LinkedIn. It's bigger than Bob's Club and Sterling Clubs. It's massive. And everyone will only refer someone that they trust. And Google does exactly the same thing. doesn't trust you. It won't list you. And that's why, you know, you have to give Google what it wants. And so what if someone's sitting there listening to this and thinking, oh, sod that. I'm not going to be faffing around with all that. Why don't I just buy a sponsored thing on Google? What is the barrier to doing that? What's the preference of getting the SEO right versus just paying to be top of the page? Yeah, that, you know, that's uh, the what well, AdWords is all about. You know, AdWords is Google's method of making money, and they're very good at it. With AdWords, you you have to know what words you want to be found for to start with. Back to the research bit, and then you you bid on those key phrases, and you can pay anything up to fifty pounds a click. You know, depending what marketplace you're in, it can be really really expensive, which is why Google's so very rich. There's downsides apart from having to pay for every single click. And that means as soon as you stop paying Google, you disappear from the, the radar. You're not there anymore. The downsides are that about a third of people ignore the adverts on principle because they, they have sussed out that these are people buying their way into the, uh, to the listings and they haven't really proved themselves to Google. You know, funny sort of thing. But there is definitely a degree, uh, so about a third of people that they call it AdWords blindness that simply won't, uh, won't look at them. The other thing is that the AdWords has to be done uh, carefully in that you have to make quite sure you're not spending your money unwisely. And Google have lots of systems that make you do that. You've really got to be very careful how you ca- how you run your campaign because otherwise your money will be gone in, in seconds. And you also have to be aware that the, the people who use AdWords or rather click on an advert they really want their what they want very quickly. They don't want to faff around. So you have to direct them to some page on the website that answers their questions, gives them what they want instantly. They don't hang around. They seem to have a different psychology. They're not in research mode. They're in buy mode. And therefore, if you don't give them what they want very quickly, they're off and you've lost not, not only the customer, but you've lost that money you pay for them to get there. Do you know what? It's really funny because you say that about the sponsored stuff and and I'm the same on Amazon almost. It's the same thing. I'm like, well, I'm not sure you've just paid for that. You haven't got all the reviews. Do you know what I mean? It's really, there is a psychology to it that would, you know, certainly I think that. So if we went down, if we said, okay, so either either way, paid or not paid, I've still got to do my keyword research. Um, You know, I've got to get my pages to be delivering and congruent with what people are looking for so my content's got to be good if if I've done all of that and let's say I'm a small business 
is it possible for me to compete with the big brands? Yeah, another very good question. Bearing in mind, you're always talking about keywords in SEO because, as I say, it's where it starts. You type them into Google and, and then you're just given a, a list of sites to pick from. There is always some holes in the marketplace that the big boys don't bother with. And the other thing you have to remember is that Google will, when you're in a local area, if it, if it thinks it's a, a local sort of product, you know, product, uh, that they could be buying, they will sometimes display local businesses above those of the big boys. So you don't always see the big boys. In some markets like, you know, Ecotry Release, then that goes out the window. They just literally display the big boys. In other marketplaces, then you can find yourself, you can, you can get on there. But the biggest route to success for the small business is attacking what's known as the long tail keyword. These are key phrases, key searches, that are three to four or even longer word searches. And the, the big boys don't really you know, bother with those so much. I don't know why, but they don't. But by writing long enough content on Google, you know, good content sorry, for your website, then Google will notice that and you'll start being found for all these phrases that are often further down the buying cycle than the short ones. You know, the short start phrases, like if you're looking for a television, you know, might just put in Sony television uh, or, you know, LED television. But when you're ready to buy one, you might type in, you know, the actual model number. And so you can be found for the model number, perhaps when the big boys aren't being found for it. There's all sorts of ways that you can be found for by these long tail keyword searches by having enough content on the website. So, yes, you can compete with the big boys. So, for instance, if let's say um, you were a speaker wanting to get noticed by a company looking for a specific talk on something, then if we were talking about long tail, what could you give me, or could we sort of workshop an example of what that might look like so that people can get the idea? Well, if you're um, looking to be found by a company who wants to find the speaker on a subject, then the obvious thing is to write a very long three to 5,000 word page on your website talking about that subject and um, because without you having to do anything it will contain numerous long tail keyword searches that no one knows people use until basically they arrive on your site and you get told that this long tail keyword search brought them there by looking at your google search console data so you literally would write a, you know a, a series of good articles are talking about that subject and then when someone is looking for a speaker and they start looking for speakers that, you know, that, that talk about the subject there's a good chance there's no guarantees but there's a good chance they could find that page on your website see that you know what you're talking about and book you and it's interesting you mentioned sort of word length there in my mind I've always understood that a uh, a good blog for SEO purposes for Google should be around 2,000 words, but you mentioned three to five there. Is it changed? Is What's what's the story on this? <laughs> yeah, um, the word length. It's a very good question, again. Um, if you actually manage to find the Google executive and, and pin them against the wall and ask them how long do you need to write in order to get their attention, uh, they will come back with an adequate length, which isn't really very helpful. Um, an adequate length can be anything from 200 words upwards, depending upon what you know, you're looking for. But as a rule of thumb, yeah, a thousand to two thousand words is a very good, very good length. 
that will itself contain lots of these long long tail keyword searches. But if you wanted to go really over the top, um, then you would go for three to five thousand words, not because you have to, but because it will be even better. So it's all really depending upon how effective you want it to be, to be you know, effective or super effective. So the general rule of thumb for attracting Google, the longer the better, up until 10,000 words when it appears it starts de declining. Don't know why it does, but that's the statistics. But in general rule, 1,000 to 2,000 words is what you need to attract Google, which itself has problems. It starts giving you problems about how do you, Put that on the page and still make it look good to the user when they arrive. So there you have the um, the fight between good design and readability and and, and helping Google or, or letting Google know that you're good at something. There's various technical ways you can do that called things like uh, accordions that the web designers can put in to make it look good and still give Google what it wants. But Google don't make it easy because even when you do that. Google will say, we prefer to see all the words that you, you've written on the page. We don't want any hidden by an accordion or a click here button to see more. And yet they also want it to look good. So they really want their cake and eat it. And I'm afraid, you know, basically they can't. So we have to give them the, the nicest cake we do, which is all the words, but hiding some of them so that the user isn't confronted by a wall of text, in which they walk away from straight away because they're frightened about it. Yeah, and I guess this is where, you know, from my perspective, and we've talked about this, previously the importance of stories and engaging content and getting the balance right between keeping someone paying attention to what you're talking about and engaged with what you're talking about versus the keywords you know you can't just write content for keywords only because you'll lose the person and then presumably if they click off quickly that's a bad thing for google as well so it is really getting that balance right is that right yeah, there's, there's two things in that question. Um, and I'd like to look at the, the second thing you mentioned first, but just quickly. Whether we like it or not, we're, we're all rats in the Google maze. You see, when Google has to decide who to list on the front page or what order they list websites for, it doesn't really know to start with. It's got an idea that it's looking for you know something to do with these keywords. But how does it, as a computer, really know what's good and what's bad? And it, and it can't. It can't. So what it does, it actually, you know, when it started out, of course, it's got a lot of data to play with now. It would list what it thinks were the best 10 on the front page of Google. And then it would see how the users reacted. So when they search for, uh, you know, something like, you know, best speaker in town or something, um, whatever they search for, it would pick the 10 sites, put them up on Google, and it would see how the users, we, reacted to them. If they went from the Google listing to the web page and then came straight back, Google knew that that website wasn't the right one because people had voted with their with their mouses. If they stayed on there, then they knew it was a good website. If you if enough people do that, then you start finding out very easily, or it's very easy with Google to work out what a good content is because those are the people, those are the websites that people have stayed on. So over time, it's built up this incredible idea about what a good website is for any particular term. And that's where, you know, part of the SEO comes in, because what you have to do is a reverse engineer. You say, if Google likes this page, it likes all these words on the page, then if you mimic those words, not don't copy, but mimic, use the words, you're bound to be in Google's good books. So that's where when you write the copy, you don't stuff it full of keywords, but you use the right words. 
and the right words are defined by what's already on Google. So reverse engineer what the competitors have got and you stand a very good chance of you know appearing alongside them. Do a better job and you can actually beat them. I've just gone through the, the words you use, but the manner in which you place those words on the page is all important. It has to be readable, you know, it has to, it can't just be just words. It has to it has to tell a story, if you like, as you as you say. It has to lead people you know, along the path, taking them step by step so they see it's worthwhile reading the next paragraph. That is the art of copywriting, really, making you want to read the next bit. Like if you, We've all read books where we just, I just don't get on with this book. And you close the book and walked away. People will do that with websites if they don't feel they're getting closer to the answer to their problem. So if you can, you know, tell a story, stories are very good ways of, of putting across, you know, a, a subject. But really, you, you've got to make it easily digestible, not just full of facts and figures, but just helping them. And, and this is where you need to understand your customer. You have to understand what their pain is before you can show them you can fix it. If you don't know what the problem is, how can you solve it? Which is keyword research, again, goes back to that. That tells you what people's problems are. Um, you know, how they want it fixed to so simple things like how do I fix a tap washer? Then you tell them how to fix a tap washer. Um, and it's as simple as that. And if people have come to the page with that question in mind, they'll read what you say as long as it's readable, you know, make it uh, easy to understand. Not a wall of text, plenty of white space, lots of images, videos if you've got them. Just make it interesting. If you've done all of that, is there a chance that SEO might still not work? Yes, if you do all of that, there's still a chance. For a start, Google is a bit of a fickle beast. You can never guarantee it'll do exactly what it says. It breaks its own rules constantly, and it can be very annoying, um, uh, you know, when, when you've done all the right things. But there are so many right things to do that you know, very rarely will a, a campaign fail if all the right things are done. You know, but you do have to make sure they're all done. Um, uh, if you don't make sure they're all done, the chances of failure increase. But, you know, if you do it all, um, I have, I've only seen one website in 21 years that didn't react, didn't react to doing things in the right way. Um, why? I couldn't tell you because I could never fix it. Um, but in other cases, I've always seen a, a reaction to more traffic and the customer coming back with a big smile on their face saying, I'm getting, you know, the phone's ringing. I'm getting more people wanting my services or products. Brilliant. And then you mentioned the word backlinks and, and you sort of alluded to the fact that backlinks build trust with Google. Um, so they're happy to refer your site to customers searching for that word. How should people start thinking about getting more backlinks? Have you got any advice on that? Yeah, backlinks are a funny thing. Uh, anyone who's got a, a website will probably have had some um, emails through saying, could you link to my site and all this sort of stuff. And that is one way that you get them, you ask for them. However, a lot of people just ignore the emails because they're too busy. Now, what's in it for them is the, is the thing they think about. Well, there is something in it for them, it, it, but they probably wouldn't realise it. If you link out to a relevant website, then Google like that because you're being helpful to uh, its visitors um, because you're, you know, you're selling them or go here, you get even more stuff. Um, so they do get something from it, but it's still not worth the, the effort for most people. So it doesn't happen. So you've really got to know the people that you, you're asking links for. So 
one of the uh, little, little things that I suggest is if you've got any people that serve the same sort of community as you do, but are not competitors, you know, ring them up, uh, get pally with them, because together you can form, you know, a marketing power team. So you both actually promote the other person's business and you can both therefore write a page on your website about the other people because there could be more than one in the team. Now, what you're doing there is you're exchanging links, which is, is, is not brilliant from an SEO point of view, because you're, you're giving them a pound and they're giving you a pound back, so to speak. But what you are doing is you're creating you know, a relevant network. And Google like that, as I say, because you're helping people. And also you're liable to boost your business because you've got other people who are ardent uh, advocates for you because they get to know you, they like you and they want to work with you. So that's one way of doing it. You know, the other thing, just pick up the phone and talk to local businesses. But they're all hard work. Um, basically. Um, the other way that you could do it is you could write, uh, you know, good articles and then submit them to a guest post websites. That's one of the big things that we do. And now there you will, they will charge you for, for putting this article on their guest post website, but they do help that because they're not a purchase link. It's a bit of a weird one. You purchase the space, you don't purchase the link. <laughs> uh, so if you if you do that, then Google will will um, you know accept that fact. So that's one way of getting the two ways of getting back links. Really, they're the easiest methods. There is one final way, which is dead easy, which is adding your website to all the directories like EL and um, one nine two, whatever it is. There's loads of those that you can add to. The unfortunate aspect about those is that they are a link, but they're very, very, very weak and they won't do you any good. I've seen some SEO companies, you know, say that's all they do. And, you know, she's rubbish. It won't get you anywhere. But, you know, it's another link. It's worth doing. Just don't expect it to solve all your problems. Brilliant stuff. Thank you, Graham. That's fantastic. Now, one more question. And some people may get confused with this terminology versus website. And that's talking about a landing page. Could you just talk, you know, talk people through what it is and why it's important in this context? Right. Okay. Now, a landing page is so called because it's where you land from Google or indeed from another website. You know, if you put an advert there. So people land on it, hence the name. Now, that could be a page you specifically built. You know, you've written this 5,000-word document we just mentioned there, and you put it on there, and that would be the landing page for the phrases that you've targeted with that thing. So obviously, the landing page there for us to do a good job at converting. So you have to make sure that it just doesn't consist of lots of words to get Google to get people there, but it actually gives them plenty of call to actions. So, you know, when you're building pages specifically to get people to, then make sure that they are really tuned to the phrases you're trying to be found for and also for conversions. That's very important. And, and bear in mind that things like social proof about how you've helped others on these landing pages are really good at making, giving, giving people the confidence to carry on. Because that's what it's all about. It's, uh, you know, conversion is about people who've got enough confidence to pick the phone up, click that contact us button. So a landing page is anything, as I say, specifically designed to be landed on for something. Not all web pages that you do are, the, are landing pages. So you're just talking about your products or services. That isn't the same thing. That isn't a landing page. And that's where lots of people go wrong with Google AdWords. Because what they do is they point people at standard pages on their website rather than building one that is specifically tuned for the keywords that you've just bought. 
So, you know, if you can sort of think about, you know, replacement windows, and that is your key phrase, and you take them to a page that talks about how you fix windows, well, it's not going to be as good as, you know, landing on a page that says, you know, going to draft your window, we fix it within 24 hours and things like that, because you're immediately, you know, hitting those emotional points that get them to want to read on. So landing pages, uh, as I say, are really important for AdWords. And if you're writing a page for SEO purposes to drag people to the website, also make sure it's got conversion in mind. So a landing page could actually be a blog, is what you're saying. Indeed, yes. Yeah, you know, blogs are a great way of getting traffic into a website. Uh, for, for, and there's three ways or three reasons for, for writing a blog. The first, the first is to um, show people that you know what you're talking about. You know, that's a very important uh, thing. So you write a blog about, you know, well, how you're a good speaker, or how you can fix tax or anything, whatever you do. The other reason is uh, to make sure that Google realise that the website is in a stagnant pond and it is changing because Google will ignore things that don't change because, you know, it stands to reason they're old news, not changing, and they're going to drift down the rankings because of that. And the third reason is to write a blog is actually to get people to land on it, as you say, Sarah, to land on it from a, a search term. So, again, what you've got to do there is you've got to prove you know what you're talking about you know, answer the questions that could be related to the, the, the whole blog itself. And, and again, you make sure there's call to actions in. So yes, blogs can be very good landing pages. That's brilliant. Cool. And now I guess from what we've been talking about, let me see if I've been properly taking this on board as well. And I'll ch- check in with you. So the three things that you'd advise people to do straight away to increase traffic to their website, would they be make sure you know what keywords you want to be found for, write good content that uses those keywords and keeps the person engaged and try and get links to your page? Or would it be as a priority to make sure your website technically is is responsive? Which of those would be the sort of top three you'd, you'd choose? Yeah, no, I've been asked that question before and you actually hit the nail pretty much on the head. The, the, the one I always put at the top of the list is content, you know, making sure that you've got good content in there that, you know, basically tells people what you do and why they should talk to you, you know. And they're not looking really for, for what you do either in many respects. They're looking for how you can help them with what you do, you know. <laughs> so it's very important to put the benefits of working with you in, in there because that's what people are looking for when they're looking for, a, you know, a solution to a problem. So content is the key thing. And of course, to write good content, you've got to know, as you said, Sarah, what keywords you're trying to be found for for that content. So those two go together hand in glove. The other thing you mentioned was making sure that your site is fast and has no obvious SEO issues. Now, that can be a bit tricky for someone who hasn't done anything, but you'll find people like me that do free audits that actually tell people what the big problems are. They can they get a list of things to go away and fix themselves, and most of them can be fixed themselves at, this, at the basic level. Where the site's slow, though, then that's a place where the web designer has to be called back in and say, you know, hey, mate, tune this up because it, this car isn't going fast enough. And the third one on my list, which I think you covered, was, was links, you know, making sure that people um, link to the website because without those links, even the best content in the world can be ignored by Google, which is really strange considering what they want is good content, but if they don't trust it, they won't list it. 
That's brilliant. Now, we've mentioned a few times uh, during the course of the interview, which is absolutely chock full of golden nuggets. I really appreciate all the, the, the generosity in terms of what you've shared today. We've mentioned, though, a lot stories. And I know from my conversations with you previously that you use stories to grow your business. Can you share a bit more about that and how you do it, in, you know, <laughs> as well as content? The first thing I'd have to say is that I'm slightly eccentric. So I tend to think off the wall, although I must say that my brother-in-law told me that only rich people are eccentric. You're just mad. So fair enough. I'm just mad. (laughs) But because of this madness, I I tend to think, you know, in obscure ways. An example about websites was the when I told about the hoverfly, because if only you ever looked at the hoverfly in your garden, you know, in the summer, uh, you'll see it often will, will just touch something with its feet without landing. And it does that because it actually tastes things with its feet to work out whether it should land there or not. And if it doesn't like it, it flies off. Now, I, I call that the hoverfly test, because if people come to your website and leave it very quickly, you know, it's failed. Their feet touched it, didn't like it, and they're off. So you have to make sure that your website grasps people, grabs people very quickly when they land. Um, and that's a little story that, you know, showed that in that context. Um, and if you want to know how you grab people, then, one way is an emotional statement that you know really points out that you've got the answer to their problem. Um, so yeah, stories like that can be, you know, brilliant. And you know, everyone can come up with a story about what they do. It, it makes people's heartstrings go and their mind just tune in and says, yes, this person can help me. And it also can get them to like you a bit more, which is very important because you have to know, like, and trust someone to do business. And stories are a way of making people like you. And you use them in pictures, don't you, when you speak about SEO and all sorts, you, you, as well as using them presumably in your content yourself on your website. I'm always listening to what you know, what people uh, need and want, and trying to find out how I can help them. And then when you know, when I I know that I can give them a, you know an example, if you like, I must admit I don't tend to pitch very hard there, Sarah. Um, I'm not your typical salesman. I very rarely close on anybody. I wait for them to say, well, when do you start? And I say, fair enough, I can start next week or something. So I really just give people information and let them decide whether they want to work with me or not. Well, that's the best way to do it. And I think the way that you use stories to sort of lead people to the answer is is brilliant. And, you know, that's the whole beauty of them is that you don't have to do hard sells. If you get people to have a uh, an epiphany about the fact you know that they might need to do something you're waiting they're ready to help them um but and also you give a lot of value it's a great way that you use stories and you give value to bring people into your world without forcing your stuff and waiting for them to be ready basically yes my, my biggest one of my biggest aims in in life is to remove the smoke and mirrors that you know conceals seo a lot of um, a lot of you know people in my profession tend to keep them up on purpose and just to bamboozle, if I may be so rude to them uh, about uh, you've got to buy me because you can't do it yourself. And and I would prefer to say this is what you have to do if you want to do this yourself. Then this is how you do it. And if they want to do it that way, then fine. I'm quite happy for them to 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 to, to do that. My main job is to make sure that they understand what they need to do so that they're happy to do it or get someone else to do it for them. And I want to talk to you in a little bit about where people can find you if if they want your help to make their site more SEO and Google friendly. But first, I've got some standard questions before I let you go. 
And the first question is what has, because this is a speaking club podcast, what has speaking done for you? I just love speaking. I, I would quite happily get up on the stage. If I ever have been up on the stage in front of, you know, 400 people way back in 1987, when I was in, in working for the treasury, I was up in front of the Institute of Electrical Engineers. And I just love it. I think, I, you know, if I could dance and I would top, top hat in a cane, dancing around the stage while I was talking, I just, just enjoy it. So I get a buzz out of speaking, um, but also, of course, by you know, showing people your wares, so to speak, it does bring in business. Uh, no two ways about it. And have you ever had like a, a bad speaking experience where you're like, oh, my goodness, I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. Anything like that happened to you? Um, luckily not. The only time uh, that I could have had, if you like, a bad speaking experience was um, when I was uh, doing, you know, a stand sort of networking thing. One of my eccentric habits is to have a, a tickling stick. You know, anyone who's seen me on the there will see me with my tickling stick, like, like Ken Dodd's Feather Duster. And I've had that because I, you know, I love Ken Dodd. I know he's, you know, been old hat now and he's gone, of course, poor, poor person. But, um, and he said, what's that for? That he wasn't very happy with the fact I was where he thought it was silly. And I had to think very quickly about why I was using it, apart from mimicking Ken Dodd. So I quickly came up with the answer saying, well, this is what I use to clear the dust away from all the websites that just don't get any visitors so I can see what's going wrong. And so I got out of that one, but it could have been, you know, very embarrassing because he was trying to, you know, embarrass me, you know, for, for one reason or another. Oh, I love that. Turn the tails. Great analogy as well. Fantastic. Love it. <laughs> okay. And so next question, what's the book that's had most impact on your life and why? The book? Oh dear. That's a good one because I, I, I listen to a lot of books. There's two books have, have had an impact on me, but I wouldn't say from a business, but just, you know, personality wise or whatever. Lord of the Rings. I couldn't put it down when I read that book, you know, um, and the films are pretty good. They don't follow the book exactly, obviously, but they're pretty good. And it's impacted me because I enjoyed it, but it doesn't steer me in any particular, in a particular way. Perhaps, you know, good always wins, which is unfortunately not always true, but it, in books when it happens, it's nice. Uh, and the other book is because I'm interested in the Second World War was The Good Shepherd by C.S. Forrester, which is all about uh, an American captain who had to escort uh, a convoy across across the, uh, the, the water for America in the, in, the, in the 1940s and how he struggled with everything that he that he dealt with. And it's such, so well, well told that, you, you know, you're, you're there and that put a tingle, tingle down my back when I think about the poor people that actually had to do that, you know, so that's affected me, yeah. So what was your biggest takeaway from that book? Well, the, the, you know, it's a hell of a job being a leader. You know, you're all by yourself there. You're the captain there on the ship. You have to make all the decisions. You have to decide who was a good officer and a bad officer. You have to cope with the bad officers. You have to, you know, cope with the terrible things that happen in war. Um, so I think the biggest one there was, you know, leadership is a lonely place. Um, it was the, the thing that took away from that book. Cool. And uh, next question, what's the best bit of business advice you've had and why? Always be nice to people, you know. Um, I can't say I, I had that advice directly, but I think I had it indirectly. And, and my advice to anyone, um, you know, when you're networking, you go into that networking event, do not think of yourself, think of the other people. Who there can you help and how? 
and go into the networking meeting on in that basis and and do your best to help those other people don't just do it because you're you're trying to get people to like you do it because you want to do it because you're a nice person and that will shine through and will pay you dividends in the end definitely sounds like a bit of a frodo philosophy as well <laughs> well yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay. And and last question then, if you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you have and why? Winston Churchill, basically, um, is my hero. He was far from perfect, um, but he came up with a hundred ideas every day. 99 were no good. Let's be honest. That's what the people say about him. But he was always, always there on top of his game. He didn't always make the right decisions, but he made decisions. He stuck by those decisions and he was a great leader. And we, we, we kind of do nothing but pay homage to his, to his memory. And I would love him to be my mentor. Brilliant. Don't think we've had Winston before. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Graham, for sharing so generously today, as I said before. And if people would like to find out more about what you do, how you can help them, Where's the best place for them to go? Um, well, I've got a website, of course. So <laughs> must have a website, mustn't I? Um, which is Serendipity Online Marketing, which you'll find um, if you you know if you search for that, or if you search for SEO Hereford, you should find me number one or number two. Um, that's the other way you can find me. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn, and you'll see lots of posts that I put out there, offering advice and telling stories. So they're the best two ways of finding me. And we'll put some links directly to those uh, in the show notes. Why serendipity? Oh, dear. Now, that's a, a very good question again. And it's also quite a personal story. I suffered terribly uh, in the crash 2008 as a, as a person for both professional and personally wise. And that did actually involve my bankruptcy back in 2008. You know, I had to start all over again. At that time, out of the blue came a, a young lady who I gone out with when I was 17 which at the time was like 34 years ago and out of the blue she came and she rescued me and I call that serendipity oh that's brilliant oh don't you get me all choked up <laughs> what well that is a gem of a story come out of nowhere so you called your website over after that sort yeah. of experience serendipity online marketing because online marketing is the game and serendipity yeah. is the name as i as i put it um but yeah it just as i think serendipity by the way there is a there is a uh, a story that how the name came about and it goes back to the in history to the days of persia when there was said to be a a persian prince called serendip and he spent his life roving around the known world coming across things by chance and hence the term serendipity now whether that's true or not I don't know but it's a lovely story <laughs> I love it I love that keep that one in the back pocket thank you for sharing <laughs> that Graham you've been an absolute star it's a pleasure uh, to have had you on the show and thank you again for being so uh, open and generous with all of your tips and stories and uh, yeah thank you very much my pleasure thank you for inviting me did you enjoy that? I love Graham's down-to-earth, no-frills and no-bullcrap approach to explaining SEO. And I hope that it's cleared up a few mysteries for you around the subject so that you can use it better in your business to get more eyeballs on your stuff. Do go and connect with Graham on LinkedIn and let him know what you thought. And also go and check out his stuff 
on his website and the links are all in the show notes for that for more great content on making SEO work for you. Thank you so much again for joining me and I'll be back next week to give you some more speaking and marketing tips and tools that you can use to grow your impact and grow your business. As ever, before I head off, if you're a regular listener and you get value from the show, do you do me a solid? Take a couple of moments out and leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. And if you do that and you uh, take a picture of the review and tag me in it, I will send you a, a free copy of my book, Cracking Speech Mate, how to add humor to your talk to make you an amazing speaker. So there you go. What an incentive that is. Thank you so much as ever for joining me. And in the meantime, until next time, don't you forget to grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. Getting to practice your speaking in front of an audience is a crucial part of testing your message and developing your skills and experience as a speaker. Yet opportunities to do this in the right environment can be hard to find. Add in the chance to get expert feedback and coaching on your content structure and delivery and the opportunities are even fewer. But that's what you'll get as a member of the Speaking Club Live. Each week we'll be focusing on a different aspect of business speaking, from pitching to presenting to videos and lives. There'll be hot speak slots and you'll get the chance to practice sharing your message, your storytelling, your humor, and all the different aspects of speaking in front of me and other members. Then you'll get feedback and coaching from me and your peers so that you're moving forward on your speaking journey with accountability and support. If you'd like to find out more about how you can become a member of the Speaking Club Live so that you can build your confidence, improve your delivery and become a better speaker, then go to saraharcher.co.uk slash club now.